Hey, listeners, this is Marcia Epstein. I am at the dining room table, mic in front of me, excited to be recording again. I've had a little break in recording and lots and lots and lots of exciting stuff. And I'm going to quickly say a few of those exciting things and then introduce my guest who I'm very excited about too. Excitement is my mode at this moment and in general for the next few months. So yeah, I'm this social worker who works with things, all things related to suicide and more. Um, And so my art thing that I get to do each year is on World Suicide Prevention Day, September 10th here in Lawrence, Kansas, Words Save Lives. I'm so excited about that. It is actually just less than two weeks away when we're recording this very day. Um, It's comedy, it's poetry, it's stories. Um, We have a person who's going to be doing some aerial acrobatic performances in the space that we're in. We have younger people and older people, people of different genders, sexual orientations, races and ethnicities, physical abilities, lots and lots and lots of people who will be front and center on stage doing things to build connection, doing things for us laughing together because that's an important part of life for us being touched by experiences that are being shared through performances. Lots and lots of cool stuff. This is the fifth annual Word Save Lives, always on September 10th, World Suicide Prevention Day. And again, that's in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, You can find me on the Talk With Me page, Word Save Lives 2018.09.10 on Facebook, and if you're in the area, come on over. It's amazing and wonderful. So that is going on, and at the same time, I'm looking just, I'm gonna just say a couple things in October because they are super exciting to me too. One is for those of you who are craving more poetry, Kansas City has this amazing thing. So if you can get there, like lots of people do from lots of places, October 12th through 14th is this incredible thing called Fountain Verse. It's the KC Small Press Poetry Fest. It's expanded from its origins of the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown. Um, And people come to perform. The featured uh, readers and presses are from lots of parts of the USA, not just the middle, as well as Epic Rights Press um, coming from... Alberta, which is the province, Canada. So I usually say Sherwood Park, Alberta, Canada, because we tend to identify cities, not just those bigger areas. Anyway, that is an amazing event. Fountainverse, you can find the website with the schedule. You can find it on Facebook. And here's the thing. Thursday, October 11th in Lawrence, Kansas, we're doing an Epic Rights poetry, yes, event here. Um, I have the pleasure of hosting Wolfgang Karstens from Sherwood Park, Alberta, Canada, um, Todd Cirillo from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Rob Plath from Long Island, New York. Those three guys are going to come here to Lawrence, hang out with me and some other poet friends I'm going to introduce them to and perform that night with two Lawrence treasures. Macy Webb, who a few of you have read a couple of her poems on Yana Carlson's um, Svenska Apache poetry blog, and Barry 
very washboard Barnes, as some people still call him, um, an amazing spoken word performer, as well as Zydeco musician, as well as human being. And so I'm super excited about those. And then I'll just say this thing, Future Perfect Project, I'll just put that in the Facebook post. I'm so, so excited about art, art that brings people together, art that lets people know they're not alone, you know, art that says, hey, you are beautiful, whoever you are. Um, I love the logo. The Future Perfect Project is written as this square with the text Future Perfect. And when you look at it by the colors, the letters you are and perfect stand out. Yes. Anyway, so I'm excited. Actually, I'm literally having chills thinking about all the cool stuff that's coming up, which is a fabulous balance for me with the hard, hard work that people do with me and we do together um, related to their personal struggles. So I'm going to stop talking about stuff and say I am super excited that my friend John Burroughs, who has this press called Crisis Chronicles Press, and yes, indeed, John will be there at Fountainverse, in mid-October in Kansas City. Anyway, John posted an announcement about this new book that he was printing. This new book happens to be by my guest. That's how I connected with her. Christine Howie, welcome to talk with me. Hi, Marcia. Thanks for inviting me on. This is great. I am really excited. So, I do put the pressure back on my guests to summarize the amazing things with a few highlights of who you are to give people some context. If they have not yet encountered you through your poetry or through the film, what's a little bit about you to, to give them some background? Sure. Uh, well, I was born Richard Howie in 1945. I'm 73 years old. Uh, I transitioned as Christine 28 years ago. Uh, I had a long career uh, in advertising as a copywriter and creative director, which I continued after my transition. And uh, then I, um, well, I also had a career, a second career sort of as an actor and a director in uh, Cleveland, Ohio at Obama Theater. And uh, that I used that background of both writing and performing. Uh, if, uh, when I about five or six years ago, I decided to uh, put a play together of my poetry about my transition. I wasn't really sure you could do a play that was really constructed from poetry, but um, and that's a longer story. But the short version is uh, I worked with a uh, a friend of mine who's also a, a fantastic theater professor and director uh, himself, Scott Place, and we put together a one-person show called Exact Change about my transgender journey. And uh, just recently, uh, we have uh, turned that into a film, uh, which will, uh, in October, which will be... Um, shown at the Chagrin Documentary Film Festival, which is a suburb of Cleveland, and it's a very well-respected uh, film festival in, in that world. So um, that's very exciting for me, yeah. and that's kind of a capsule version of my life. <laughs> yeah. So is is the Chagrin doc, uh, Festival, is that 
the premiere of the film? We actually had a single showing of it. It was more like a um, a screening just to uh, get feedback and make some final changes, and we did that a year ago. We did that in June of 2017, uh-huh. and that was a single showing at, uh, at two theaters in the same building um, here in Cleveland. But uh-huh. since then, it hasn't been seen anywhere until it will be again in October. Oh, exciting. The Chagrin documentary. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And for people who haven't been involved with film creation, I will say uh, when I had the opportunity to to um, be part of a documentary and to follow the steps from idea to release, it does take a long time, you know. So for you to say, you know, you had a screening and that was before the final edits and now film festival opportunities are here and that's exciting you know that the whole process taking a long time that's just the way good films are made right it just takes a while oh sure yeah it takes a while it's amazing when you're working on a film uh how many decisions you have to make every second mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's because uh, you're thinking about well do i bring do we bring in music here or do we edit this or do we take another angle? And it's uh, the amount of decisions putting a film together. And this film is about 70 minutes long. Uh, it's it's uh, amazing and awesome how much work has to go into it. Yeah. And then with all the other professionals who are involved in post-production and so forth. So yeah. it's, a, it's a daunting task, but it was very rewarding. And since this is, so you, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just, it's, it's not only a piece that you've written, but it's, it's your life on film. I I can't even imagine <laughs> all the levels of impact on you and decisions and, and, you know, that opportunity that you have coming up to, to be in the room with people and, and hear from them. It's, it's, one incredibly brave i i i yeah <laughs> <laughs> well thanks it's uh i i actually had to work up to it it was since i did transition 28 years ago i spent the first 20 years of my transition just uh you know living my life because it was, had been so long since i had been in the the gender that was appropriate for me that it, that took uh-huh. all my energy and time in in addition to working full time uh-huh. but then about 7 or 8 years ago i i i really just got so tired of hearing about the tragedies of transgender people who either were murdered or were assaulted or committed suicide and uh, i thought well i've got a background in writing and a background in performing uh-huh. why don't i do something and that motivated me, and that uh, that carried me through all the moments where, as you say, it's very uh, difficult in a lot of ways to, you know, to go through your life and share all those moments. But I felt I had a larger purpose, and yeah. uh, that kept me going. Yeah. So when you think about people of different ages experiencing your documentary, what are some of your hopes for the impact? Well, for younger people, 
I hope that they see this hope this helps them see a path when when they might not see a path. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a, a particular event uh, that I became involved with after the fact. There was a uh, a young transgender woman who was a student at Oberlin College. Uh, her name was Sam as a man, and she kept that name Sam as a woman. And she had been uh, uh, she had transitioned a year earlier, uh, and then on her 21st birthday at Oberlin College, she committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And she was such an extraordinary person, very much loved by her entire family and all her friends at school, and still she could not see a way forward. <clears throat> and that's my hope that by telling my story, because it was pretty difficult when I was, I grew up in the 1950s, and, you know, there, this whole subject was so far off the radar you know, it wasn't even the Hubble telescope couldn't find it. Huh. So, um, so I uh, I was motivated um, by that and by by her uh, certainly tragedy. And I've gotten to know their her parents and family, and they're wonderful people. And they also started a foundation in her honor. And for older people like me or or younger uh, or older, they um, I, I want to. Sh- try to get the idea across that this is just another way of being human. Mm-hmm. Being transgender is not anything to be afraid of. It's not um, as weird as uh, people used to think it was. It's it's obviously gotten more uh, publicity and more acceptance in the last couple or three years in some ways, but there's still a lot of challenges uh, for people to understand. And what I wanted to try to get across in my play and in the film was how it feels to be transgender. And this is a feeling that everyone has of not fitting in for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. it's just another example of that. And um, mm-hmm. so I guess those are the ways I, I hope it comes across to people of various ages. Yeah. As you say that latter part, I smile because I think about, and the latter part being, you know, wanting older people also to, to just know this is part of being a person. This is part of who some people are. I think about a friend of mine, Stephanie Mott, who's in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, an amazing person in so many ways and a powerhouse of activism and for many causes. And she's uh, a trans woman. Uh, who, who, one of the things I remember her saying and writing in one of her blogs was, so if you ask a hundred trans people what transgender means to them, you'll get 105 answers because by the time you finish asking them all, some of them will have already changed their answers. <laughs> and her point was right, that exactly. it's not, it's none of us by whatever groups of people we are part of, none of us are all the same as all the other people in our group, whether it's by race or ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation or faith or, you know, our professions or, or, you know, whatever. We aren't, there's not one way of being any of the things that are part of whom we are. And so I love that, that it's, it's not just one thing. And I think that's, that's probably a, a part that, makes it a little or a lot harder for some people to to try to understand and and my goal is always to get to the point of empathizing with other people 
you know, because I think about when I first, the first, I, I, I think my, my whole adult life from young college student forward has been working with crisis, um, volunteering, and then being, being hired as the director of a crisis counseling center um, where I worked for a very long time. And that, in that environment, there were people who found safety in, in there. And the first person, the first time I ever heard, knew anything about um, transgender, and that isn't even the word, uh, I don't think that word was even a word that I knew or that that person used, but a person who would come in and who explained that she was Ruth, but most people knew her as Bruce, and she could come into the center and chat and be her true self, which isn't who she could be in most times in her life. You know, and I think now what a gift it was to me and those of us who got to know her because we learned from her and with her. And then there are those ripple effects of how we we take that into our next communications, our next interactions with other people. You know, and I think about the way that that my sons grew up with different messages from me than what I had, because I talked about a lot of things that other people, that, that no one talked about with, with me when I was growing up, you know, and, and we live, one of the beauties of living in a university community, um, even though it's in a what otherwise would be a small Midwest town, is universities do draw people from different backgrounds and experiences. Um, and so, we see people who don't all look the same and don't all act the same. And we get to become friends with a lot of different people who are very different from us and also very the same as us in different ways. So, so I, I love that, that people of all ages need to, and, and, and we have the responsibility. Those of us, those of us who identify with, with what's called cisgender, we, with the, the, the gender we were, assigned at birth, the gender that, that people saw our baby bodies and said, you are boy, you are girl, there's no other choice. You know, those of us who, who have the experience of that works for me, I'm, I've always felt okay being identified as female in my case, you know, we, we need to take the, the challenge opportunity. And those are the same thing to me, challenge and opportunity. And, and learn about other people's experiences and welcome them and value people, you know? So, so your film is one of those opportunities people are going to have. It's, it's going to become, um, I'm assuming, more accessible after the film festivals. That, that seems to be what I've, what I've noticed with other films um, that, that I've been aware of the development. It's, it's very cool. And I'm, I know, man, I'm saying too much, but I, I want people to think about things they haven't thought about. And for people who, whose experience is being in that vulnerable population, whatever it is, to know you are not alone. And, and, and that thing of somebody seeing themselves through watching your film is such a huge gift. It's so important. And, and I know that you know that that's, why you created the play and the film, but it's, it's something that, that we need to all honor and cherish is art really can save lives in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. 
So you explained that that you are somebody um, who who had to live for a long time. Uh, my friend Stephanie would kind of say in costume, you know, pretending to be somebody that you you really weren't, but it was what you had to do to have any kind of safety at that time in your life. And and what I want to ask is the art part of of you is when did you start creating different kinds of art? Well, my first uh, venture into art per se was it was as an actor and I really enjoyed being on stage. It was the only place I could really relax because people were providing me the words. Uh-huh. I never felt comfortable talking as a boy and as a man, just because I wasn't sure nothing came natural to me. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't really sure how to, what to say, how to respond. If I responded naturally, it would, it would seem uh, out of place because I was thinking as a girl and as a woman. So I had, it was a great relief to be on stage and be given words mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that were accepted as uh, men's words. And the, the weird thing was uh, for, most of my acting career, I played all the heavies. I played uh, Richard Nixon in An Evening with Richard Nixon by Gorbachev. Oh, wow. I played, wow. I played Robespierre. I played the devil. I played a homicidal maniac. I played all kinds of guys. Most of them were nasty guys. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed that. But at a certain point, when I got into my... 40s, uh, it was all just, um, I was experiencing success as an actor, but not as a human being. Uh, I was accepted as Richard, uh, as, you know, but it wasn't who I was. And Mm -hmm. eventually that just grinds you down to the point where, you know, at least in my case, uh, I was contemplating, uh, a number, a couple serious options, and fortunately, I uh, I came through, and you know, <laughs> didn't do some of the a couple of things I was contemplating because of the, you just feel eventually cornered and no way out, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you understand all that. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a character in my play in my movie called the Enforcer, uh-huh. and that was the voice in my head that constantly said, you know, you only have two choices. Either you're, a, either you're going to be a man or, or you end it all. And, you know, suicide isn't that bad. Don't worry about it. You know, I just kept going through all the options. You could do it this way. You could do it that way. This was a constant voice in my head um, mm-hmm. for many years. Mm-hmm. And that that is exactly what I was hearing, is that you you had to either choose life and and i i know i keep referring to stephanie but as she would say being authentic that's that's how you choose life you've got to be yourself or choosing death exactly yeah those were the only possibilities and right you obviously chose life and as you say transitioning what are some of the things that you did or people connections, not people necessarily by name, unless you'd like to say, but how did you do that? You know, I mean, how did you have 
the emotional stamina support to go through all those things that are part of becoming publicly the person who you are and having to negotiate all of the life experiences and people who expect you to be somebody totally different. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think, well, there's a number of things probably that saved me along the way. One is uh, I have a reasonably good sense of humor. There's a, in my film and in, you know, there's a lot of, uh, quite a bit of humor in it. Uh, along with the poignancy and and some of the nastier stuff, so the a sense of humor helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that eventually lost its power in a way because it was I was deliver you know I was making people laugh and I was amusing people, but it wasn't me who was doing it. Mm-hmm. So you know, eventually that lost its ability to help me. But for a long time, that helped a lot. Another thing that helped is that uh, I met a girl in high school uh, named Dinah, and uh, uh, long story short, we we got married. I told her on our third date that I was, at that time, it it was called a transvestite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Now it's more properly termed cross-dresser, and uh, and she was, uh, you know, she was, didn't really understand it, but she didn't think I was hurting anyone, so... It was okay, and uh, you know, and uh, but she, uh, her love kept me going for a, quite a long time. Um, mm-hmm. But eventually, we we separated because uh, of other reasons, and um, and I went, you know, went forward from there. But uh, her her love kept me alive for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Are are you two friends at this point? Yes, we are. We are friends. I see her several times a year, and uh, uh, you know she's uh, a terrific, loving person, and uh, I've become a better person now that I'm actually who I am. Yeah. So, um, so we have we have a strong we have a strong, loving relationship. Yeah. She she remarried. She's been uh, remarried to. Um, a nice guy for about uh, more more than about twenty five years, I guess. Now, I was hesitant to ask um, because it's a very personal question. You know, in terms of if you have a relationship, a friendship still, and and when you said yes, I I smiled so big because like ah, oh, that's that's wonderful. That's that's what we hope. What I hope will happen for people when they get to to be themselves out in the world. And I know that's not always the case by any means. Um, and so... No, I know. There's, yeah. yeah. This person who was so important in your life and is still so important in your life, is that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So finding... We have a daughter. Uh, daughter oh, okay. I'm sorry. We have a daughter, Noel, um, uh-huh. who is now 46. Uh-huh. And he uh, she wrote a wonderful book called Dress Codes, the subtitle of which is uh, the story of three girlhoods: my mother's, my father's, and mine. Ah. And, uh, and we have a terrific relationship. She's she's wonderful. You know, it was it was rough growing up because I was very distant 
and sort of numb and you know wasn't really sure how to how to be a person with her and around her but we've uh we've solved all that and have a terrific relationship and he's the light of my life that's beautiful and when I asked you about acting, excuse me, about art, I, I need to, I, I, I'm just realizing, oh, I need to ask you about poetry too, right? <laughs> so, so we're asking a lot well, of Well, that's part of it. Yeah. So poetry, how did, how did poetry, because when I asked you about art, you, you talked about acting. And now I also want to make sure that, that, I, that I get to hear the story of you and poetry. Yeah, well, I had been writing poetry over the years, but not not very seriously, just sort of dabbling at it now and then, just sort of trying to get my emotions on paper. You know, uh, I didn't think it was, I don't think it was very good poetry or writing. It was just sort of spewing emotions. But about six, seven years ago, I started um, getting uh, interested in poetry more seriously. I, I, I got into a workshop and... Um, and that's when I sort of discovered my voice, my voice as a poet and my voice performing poetry. I'm, I really classify myself as a performance poet just because a, a lot of my poetry lends itself to being performed and uh, I enjoy performing it. So, um, and uh, thanks to a number of workshops and working at it, I've, uh, I've developed uh, my own particular style and... Uh, I was actually uh, named Poet Laureate of Cleveland Heights. Yeah. For the last. So that was that was nice, and I got to an ability to write and perform some poetry, you know, for the my local community and so forth. So. Right, and and although we don't all know Cleveland Heights, Ohio, the thing is, is there are a lot of amazing poets in your area. You know, it's. I mean, partly I, I, I find out because of people like John Burroughs, who I've connected with already, but sometimes just randomly somebody comes to my attention from somebody else's thing. You know, it's like, so, so it's, a, it's, not, it's a big deal that you are, were chosen to be the Poet Laureate of your area, which is a very, very powerful art area. That's cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was fun. It was quite an honor. I was very pleased to be able to do that now now there's a new poet laureate come in damian mcclendon and he's he's amazing i've actually i was actually on a i've also done a couple poetry slam national uh, competitions yeah on the cleveland team and yeah. damian uh and i were on the team a couple of different times in 2013 and 2017 so um uh so that's that was a, a great experience. And that is another place where it takes a lot of courage to get into that kind of competition. That's, that's intense. I mean, it's at least for me, the, my experience of being in the audience, I have not been on, on stage by any means, but being in the audience and hearing people perform such powerful pieces you know, and then of course, part of the slam is it's a competition, and and there's no absolute objective criteria, <laughs> and, right. and you're up there in front of all these people 
typically sharing very personal words. And so I, I think that's, that's a whole other thing. Like that's, that is impressive that that is yet another art experience that you are involved with. Yeah, that was, it was amazing. I was, uh, I got into it, you know, a little late, you know, so that I've been, you know, in my seventies when I've been doing this and it tends to be a younger person's medium. Uh-huh. Uh, as you say, it's very energetic poetry, very uh, in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it's fascinating. It's, it's so, it's so um, vital and vibrant that uh it, it, it attracted me a lot, and I'm I was pleased that I could, uh, you know, stay keep with keep the pace up with with these younger people at that time. So it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And and so you started writing and performing, and you actually have several books out, including this new one from Crisis Chronicle Press. So tell us a little bit about this this new chapbook, Citizen of Metropolis. Well, it's just a, a small collection of, of poems uh, that I, I always wanted to be uh, published by John because uh, he was in the first workshop I went to, and it was it happened to be a very a, a workshop with extremely skillful skilled poets. Most of them were published, and I had never hardly written a poem, but I got in, and uh, he sort of, as I've told John. On more than one occasion, he sort of uh, planted the seed for me because he, uh, I don't know if you've heard him perform, but he can be a very dynamic performer. Mm-hmm. And it just triggered something in me about with my acting background. And I said, well, if I can write and also, uh, you know, do some acting with the words, that would fit perfectly for me. And so John was uh, instrumental for me in in getting my poetry career going. Mm-hmm. So I was very pleased uh, he was able to publish this uh, this uh, chapbook. Uh-huh. That's really cool. So so it's it's not only proximity by any means. And and uh, you know for people people who are who are poets who are listening going, okay, how do I get published? You know, it's it's one of those things that no, it's not easy. No, it's not automatic. And and a big part is finding out what different presses actually are looking for, you know, so that you submit your work to someplace that is looking for the kind of work that you create. So there, there's no, there's no like automatic, yes, this person, this press is going to take you. And I will say it is so important that we buy books, you know, that we support those small presses, that we buy things as close to the writer as we can. So we can buy books often when somebody's doing a public reading. We can look at their website and see if their books are available and and Christine, you do have a site for people to go to look for your books. You can go directly, in the case of, of Citizen of Metropolis, go directly to the Crisis Chronicles Press website, buy it there. You can go, what I tend to do, if I don't buy directly from the publisher, 
is I'll go to my local independent bookstore here in Lawrence, Raven Bookstore, and I'll say, hey, I need this book. Can you get it for me? And they always say yes. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing <laughs> is, is that people, people spend money in so many ways that they don't think about. You know, I, I'm amazed at the number of people who buy prepared foods from windows, as my friend would say, drive through and buy food, you know, and, and the real cost that you're paying for all that food and packaging that isn't necessarily the most nutritious, but that's another topic. Um, and, and the amount of money people pay on fancy coffee drinks. I know I talk about that a lot because that's one of the places where I save money, man. We buy good beans. We, we make coffee at home. And then I haven't spent five bucks or more on a cup of coffee. And a couple of those not coffee purchases mean another book, you know? So, so we can do that. And I realize some people can't. Some people's budgets are, are, are tight in a way that they can't. But I will also say that, that we show what's really important to us, what we really value by where we spend our time and money. You know, so if you are yeah, I agree. Yeah. And if you aren't hanging out at the library reading books that you can't afford to buy and you aren't buying them, then that means, honestly, that reading's not that important to you. If words are important to you, if you are a writer and you want people to read your stuff, get out, hear people and buy their books, man. It's not okay just looking at it online. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here with three new poetry books on the top of my my stack. That's by me, um, Stereometry by Mercedes Lucero, and and two books by Denise Lowe, um, who is a former poet laureate of Kansas. Um, both of them happen to live in Lawrence, and and I was at a reading last week, and I I love I love that we get to interact with people that even through this podcast. There are people who are going to hear you, Christine Howie. They're going to go, this documentary, I want to see this. I want to I read this woman's poetry. So what was that place? So on the Talk With Me page, page where I have the information about this show, I'll have links to how to get this these works that we're talking about, you know, how to find out more information about the film, you know. Maybe there's, you know, I don't know exactly how the, the showing part will work for you, but perhaps people can can specifically ask the, the the theaters in their area that do play new work that's not just mainstream check it out say hey can you guys can we, can we bring this to our community this is something i want to have going on here you know there's i we all need to do our part because it's so important for us to experience art and the things they were going to maybe even accidentally learn <laughs> because we were drawn to somebody's art. I like that sneak attack thing. <laughs> get something you didn't, ex- didn't yeah. realize you're going to get, you know, and, and that's yeah. how we, that's how we learn a lot of stuff is from experience and from stories brought to us in different ways. You know, I'm, I'm, I understand that in my work as a social worker in suicide prevention, there's a big emphasis on research, evidence-based, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I get that, and I, and I value that. I'm not disdaining that. But if I want to make a difference in somebody's life, if I want to get their attention, I'm not going to throw a bunch of numbers at them. You know, I'm not going to say, you need to learn about, in this case, trans people, because X number of people, blah, 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 blah. 
But if I can say, hey, you know, I have this good friend that I'd like you to meet sometime. She's doing this cool thing, you know. And then I start talking about my friend Christy, who's a musician who has a band, and she and I volunteered to help with this thing, um, this music camp for for um, basically for kids who aren't boys. <laughs> it's for trans and gender nonconforming and female kids, and they get to do this week of music. And, and my friend Christy is this guitarist and songwriter, and she's part of it. And you know, so it's like so so we you know, we start telling stories. It's like, wait a minute, you said she's a trans woman. It's like, yeah, she's a trans woman. And anyway, she does these cool things. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that, you know, it's like, exactly. You need to know that people are people. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Art, well, art I totally powerful. agree with you. The power. Of- yeah. Sorry. So you, you've been writing poetry, not as long as you've been acting and and your poetry, so you you morph that into your play. Is that right? That it, it's sort of your, the basis of your play is is also some of your poetry. The poetry, the play, the play, the film is actually forty different poems. Okay. But uh, some are some are you know uh, sound like poems. Some don't. Some are dialogues uh-huh. uh, that I act that I play. I I embody like you know more than 20 different characters including my mother and father and daughter and you know other people in my life and so forth so it's not like a typical poetry reading by any by any stretch Uh and for you and i agree with your go ahead sorry the uh and I, told, I did want to say, I agree with your uh, talking about stories. The power of stories is so important uh, because um, I actually, in a period in my life, I was uh, teaching people how to change their resume and um, get a job mm-hmm. and, um, and interviewing techniques. And one of my key suggestions was tell people stories because everyone pretty much has the same facts. Or, mm-hmm. or facts sound the same. You know, I worked here for so many years, blah, blah, blah. I was very nice and good person. But when you <laughs> tell stories, some big project that you did that came out great or whatever else, it's so involving and people remember it. Yeah. And uh, that's what I try to do in the film is tell stories about my life, not just relate events and situations, but tell stories and uh in the voices of the people who were involved, and that becomes a whole different kind of experience. Uh huh. And and the question I was headed towards that that relates to your stories being tr- your life stories. How how have you navigated that with people who are part of your life and and thus part of your stories? You know, I, there's a there's a quote from the writer Anne Lamott that basically says something to the effect of, "If people didn't want you to write about them, they should have behaved better." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you know, for you, how how did how did that help shape your film, the real people who are part of your story? 
Well, it was it was everything. I mean, the people who I was uh, involved with, and professionally or personally, and so forth. Uh, this is this is how you craft your life. And uh, it was so difficult for me for 45 years because I couldn't really share who I was. Uh-huh. Just try to imagine being in a relationship or being at work or being anywhere, really, and not being able to respond in a natural way or in a way that feels right for you and tell people, you know, who you are. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people, that's why I think the, the film sort of has a universal appeal because many of us have those problems. They weren't, they may not be gender centered, but there are other reasons why we can't share who we are <clears throat> or how we feel. And uh-huh. it's uh, very limiting. So um, that's why I think I, I found that uh, many people of all different ages have uh, responded very positively to, to the film because it's, uh, it, it, it's sort of a shared experience once you get past the, the uh, you know, gender aspect of it. Uh-huh. And, and the other part of my question is sometimes people in our lives don't want us to share stories that they were part of if they think it's not going to make them look good. Right. Yeah, I I've, um, I was try I tried to be careful about that as I wrote it, and I got feedback. I asked uh, Diana, my my ex, I asked her for her feedback, and uh, people who were really close to me, I I tried to be very aware and sensitive to their uh, thoughts and feelings, and I uh, I, I made some edits and in accord with that, but uh, none of it really affected the truth, the truthfulness of the overall piece. But uh, it's uh, other than that, you know, if, if some people don't turn out, come out well, I agree with Anne Lamott. <laughs> mm-hmm. They should have been better at the time. Yeah, yeah. I am looking at the clock and going, you know, one thing I didn't specifically ask you is, did you want to read from any of your work while we're talking? Usually that's a given for me. And I've, I've been so interested in just talking with you that I thought, oh, wait a minute. We haven't had you read any poetry or anything. Um, so I'm, I'm offering that if, if you were ready and hoping to, if it means, well, I'd actually have to go grab stuff. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> I, I don't know where we are with that part. <laughs> Uh, well, I could read something. Um, uh, this uh, I'm thinking of this one piece. You know, the the play and the film of my life was is, is about 70, 75 minutes long. Uh, but when I was working, you know, trying to prepare for uh, poetry slams, the limit is three minutes. Huh? And I don't know if you want me to read a three minute poem or not. But that's I have uh, one that sort of covers my I have one that covers my entire life in three minutes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, language is okay? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll, uh, <clears throat> I'll proceed. I was a male impersonator for 40 years. 
No, not like a drag king, not that kind of thing. No highness to the lowness I was feeling. See, I was born in 1945, four months after FDR died, two days after the end of World War II, 20 years before the invention of Doritos. We're talking a long, long time ago. So everybody's happy back then, and so am I. I mean, for the first five years, I'm down with it all, drooling, learning how to walk and talk and crap into a porcelain chair. Hey, I got this. Then, boom. I'm five years old in kindergarten, 1950. Boys here, girls there. Whoa. Say what? Boys? Girls? When did we get divided up into teams, and why wasn't I consulted about this? And I'm on what team? <laughs> the boy team? Oh, hang on. Hold up. we got to talk about this. Oh, but nobody's talking. They just shove me into a stiff pair of blue jeans, hand me a Roy Rogers rifle, and say, be a man, little man. Be a man. Be a man. How can I be a man when I don't even know how to be a person yet? Hey, I just got done figuring out peekaboo. And now I got to be a little man because I got this thing down here? Because of this, really? This thing is way less than 1% of my total body weight, and it's going to determine how I live the rest of my life? Seriously? <laughs> Seriously? Oh, yeah, they're serious. I can see that. And I know if I tell them I'm really a girl, it's going to go bad for me. See, this is the early 1950s. And they weren't fucking around with gender and shit. There was no, oh, you have a gender identity problem. Please tell us. It was, you be who we tell you you are. Or you're in deep trouble, little man. This is going on your permanent record. And if you don't come around, we're going to hook up your skull to some jumper cables and run a few thousand ready kilowatts from your frontal lobe down into your brainstem until we fry us up a nice, calm, obedient boy. Hey, so I shut the fuck up and start hiding inside my plaid short sleeve shirts as I tick off the mile markers. Boom, 10 years old. I'm a boy who doesn't talk much because I'm afraid of making a mistake and letting people see who I really am. Boom, 20 years old. I'm a young man drinking hard and protesting the Vietnam War. Boom, 30 years old. I'm a married man with a child. Boom, 40 years old. I'm an advertising executive man with a red sports car. And I'm suicidal because the girl, the woman inside me is dying. I feel her dying. She's been waiting for 40 years, and now she's dying. My male impersonator act is dying, and I'm dying way before my time. And then, boom, I'm 45 in 1990. And I say, that's all. I won't die in a rented room wearing borrowed clothes. I won't be what you want, and I won't bleed for what you need. You cannot supersede me or impede me because I'm no longer weak-kneed, so you can speed-read the end of this screed. I am Christine. I'm Christine. I am Christine. That's amazing. That is so beautiful. And that, that piece embodies what we've been talking about, the power of art the power of story, you know, creating some understanding and empathy. And somebody goes to some poetry event, they aren't necessarily expecting that particular topic to be part of a poem. And, and that poem changes lives. It changes lives of those people in the audience who aren't able to live authentic, authentically yet is whatever on the gender, wherever they are on the gender spectrum, you know. And, and and they relate right. to that little kid going what no and and the little kid knowing that 
they aren't going to be okay if they challenge and say that's not who I am. You know, and in in my life, I I at this point in my life, because of personal experiences and professional experiences, I I say and really believe that love really is the answer. And when I say that, what I really mean is if if people made their decisions about how they treat other people, the impact they have on other people, based on having love for other people, whoever they are, we'd have such a different world. And and people who share the experience that you did of being misidentified at birth as to who they needed to be, not that we need to be either or, it's not just this binary thing, but, you know, people people need to, to be able to know and be valued for whoever they are. And, and we need to believe that people are the expert in their own experience and who they are, that, that I don't have the right to tell somebody, no, you can't be that because of X reason, you know, that I, I don't, I don't know that about the person, you know, it's, it's right. to me again. It is that that when we when we open our hearts and are willing to learn about people and understand, we are able to empathize in a much deeper way, and we care about other people, and so we make different choices in things that we do. You know, we don't we don't ostracize somebody because they look different than what we think somebody's supposed to look like when they're out in public, you know, whatever that means to us. So I, I love that. Poem. Yep. I love that poem. Is that poem published anywhere? Is it, is it in any of your books that if people want to say, I need that on paper, I can get that. <laughs> Actually, it's not in any of the books. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's fairly recent, and I haven't put it in a book yet, but uh, it will probably go in a book here down the road. Yeah. I, I, I think of that, that and, and, again, the power of, of that. And, and I, it's, it's interesting to me that I think about a couple of other friends who are poets who have written biographical pieces like that, um, my my friend who's who's been a poet since the '60s, who's here in Lawrence, Jim McCrary. He has a book called A Yearbook, and he goes through years in his life with with. It's a small chapbook, and and small um, statements about different years and and his experiences. And I think about another friend, Craig Miller, who's um, very open as an advocate about his experience of childhood sexual abuse, and drug use and suicide, serious suicide attempts. And he has a poem called What If? And he goes through his life, um, as you did. It, it's, it's different, but, it, you know, it's, and, his, and his point is we are the people we are at any moment because of all of those experiences that happened before. And we wouldn't be the people we are at this moment if not for those experiences, which is not the same as wishing hardship on people, but the reality is that that they shape who we are, all those experiences, the good and the bad. And it's powerful to listen to that and think about that. And it's powerful for individuals, you know, for an individual to hear your poem 
an individual whose gender is not the one assigned at birth to hear that poem and know, okay, this shit is hard, but look at her, look at what she has done. It's never too late to find that safe as possible path of being the, the person I really am. You know, it, it wasn't too late for yeah. her after, you know, 40 years of living as she did. She had made the brave choice of living as opposed to having to die living the way she was trying to live. I mean, it's it's inspiring in so many ways to to hear those real stories. And so you've got that poem. And, and right now what's more available is you have this documentary film that will become available. Right, yeah, and it's. Um, I hope it. I hope it gets out there. There's, if the, anyone is interested, I have a, a website called Exact Change the Film, and uh, it. Uh, we're making. We're going to make it available for purchase. It's not quite yet ready, but any news about that will be on that website. Okay. That's, yeah, that's that's wonderful. And so again, we can. You know, I was reminded by, in fact, by Denise Lowe, that thing about when you are, learn about art that you want to experience and you want your community to experience, bring it to the attention of the places in your community, you know. So I could go to Liberty Hall is, is the film place in my community of Lawrence, Kansas, that is more likely to have a film that's not a mainstream commercial film. So I can go over there and say, hey, you know, I just learned about this film called Exact Change, and I think at some point we need to have that. I, I can go to the Lawrence Art Center and say, hey, you know, you do this film festival every year. How about next year? Let's have Exact Change be one of the films. I want I want people here to see this. You know, we can we can advocate for having those art pieces be in our community for our community members to experience. And and that's part Absolutely. of the way that happens is you know, not just because their press releases sent out, but because somebody says, hey, this is important. We need to do this. You know, and, and what I just said in particular with the, the Free State Film Festival that happens every year, um, it's happening very soon. So it's not it's not something that, that could be in this year's film. I mean, in, in this year's festival, but, but I certainly will go and talk to the people at the Lawrence Arts Center who, who um, host this festival and say, hey, I really want you to consider doing this film. You know, this year, you know, you've got X films, including um, uh, some some that that deal with other aspects of gender and sexuality. Let's let's have exact change be one of the things that comes here, and of course, the possibility of bringing Christine here to do that Q and A afterwards. That'd be awesome. You know, I think it, we can do these things. Yeah, that'd be terrific. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'd love. I think it's a great suggestion. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I want to. I want it to be here. It's important to me. And 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 uh, as I get on my soapbox, as I do about buying books, I also get on my soapbox about those of us who are not in such vulnerable groups. I'm a cisgender heterosexual white woman. I can say things, and and be heard in safer ways than my trans and gender non-conforming friends can. So I can be the one who goes and says, we need to do this. This is important. It's important for the, the us as a community to do this thing. So I'm challenging listeners 
do those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It means a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so you've got books that are easily available because you've got, you've got internet ways of people contacting you to, to buy books. You know, you've got YouTube online for people that want to see things, um, kind of get a glimpse of things with not just audio, but also seeing you performing things. And, and again, my, my hope is that people, people really do that. And I, and I give huge thanks to John Burroughs, um, for being the one that, that helped us make this connection because it was his post. And, you know, it, it's always interesting to me, a, a lot of us use social media, different kinds, whatever the ones, and, and a lot of us have a lot of people that we could potentially see information from. I don't know how it works, but sometimes, sometimes something is in front of my face on the Facebook newsfeed. It's like, that is something I really want to know about. I'm so glad. And I don't know how it happened that I was on Facebook at a moment when the Facebook algorithms decided I needed to see this post from John Burroughs, but I'm really glad. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Cool. It's been great. It's really good. And we're, we're in that wind down part of the hour. Um, I, I can say out loud, we can say out loud some of the ways people can, can connect with your work. And I, I'd like to remind people you can find, a, you know, this, this longer post will appear in print when the podcast is, if you've been able to listen to it, it means it's been uploaded. So go to the Talk With Me page on Facebook and you'll find a long post about this show uh, with Christine. And her last name, her name is Christine with C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And her last name is Howie, H-O-W-E-Y. So that's the name you want to put in your Google search. The film name, um, people are going to be able to find, you know, they'll find it through you, but also um, they'll find it exact change through the website. There's a, there's a little reel about it. Um, There's the Chagrin Documentary Film Festival for people who are in that area of Ohio. You've got a theater review page and people website and people can look at that. You've got poetry books. I mean, there, there are all these ways that people you can connect with Christine Howie and with this film, with the film website being exactchangethefilm.com. Do these things. Buy, buy books, you know, tell your library to order books, tell your, your independent bookseller about a new thing that you've, that you've realized that they should carry, you know, try to find the film, try to help it get in your area, all those things. Because when we share art like that, when we, when we advocate for art to be shared, we're advocating for goodness in our community and there can never be too much goodness. So thank you, Christine Howie, for joining me for this hour of Talk With Me. Thank you, Marsha. This is great. I, I so appreciate and respect your, uh, your insistence that people get involved. I think that's wonderful, and uh, I'm certainly willing to, uh, you know, get involved with anyone who's interested in my work and all the other people that you uh, feature on your program. So many, many thanks from me. 
You're very welcome. And and we get to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show. I, I have the luxury of sitting and talking with my guests with my cup of coffee and a notepad beside me. Daniel does that tech stuff that means people get to listen. So thank you, Daniel. And thank you, listeners, especially those people who periodically pop up in, in, in messaging to me in different ways and say, man, I love listening to these shows. Thank you. Because um, that's what we want. We want people to hear. So thank you all. And there will be more Talk With Me episodes coming up and a whole bunch on Podbean and iTunes and Google Play. You can listen, listen, listen. Thank you. And so long.